0: Hi, Neil Osborne here and welcome to the GetTS Podcast, where I teach, coach, consult and speak on selling in the hair, beauty and body industries. And today I have a special treat for you. And every time you hear this particular introduction, you're going to know that you're in for a treat. The treat is you don't have to listen to me today. I've been fortunate enough to connect with a couple of very high-end salon owners people who own some premium businesses. And what I've discovered is they've got some very interesting observations about you and the way that they like to interact with salespeople. There's some absolute pearls, so sit back. They're gonna run a little bit longer than usual, but I'd have to say there's some absolute gold in there. I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Sandy, for some of your time. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are, but as I mentioned to you briefly the other day, I'm on a bit of a mission and my mission is to have a positive contribution at the company level about ways that their personnel can interact in a more positive way to respect, support, and assist salon owners in the best possible way, and especially at the premium level. That's probably the area that I tend to find that a lot of companies don't quite grasp it. As you would appreciate and probably have heard, most companies grade salons, in like an A, B, C or D sort of classification. I personally use numbers of staff because I know a full-time staff member generates approximately $10,000 worth of wholesale purchases per annum for a product company.
1: This is in hairdressing?
0: Yeah. This is for when I was business coaching.
1: 10,000
0: yep. per annum now that includes everything and if you're a strong colour salon would probably be a bit higher than that if you're a very strong retail business it would be definitely higher than that but just as a guide as a bit of a guide only so we tend to work on a is six or more full-time now by the way we only count part-time staff as a half in this process So, you know, if you've got four full-time and two part-timers, you've got a staff of five in the way that we look at our scale. Bs are four to five, Cs are two to three, and Ds are single operator, owner operator, or home-based businesses. So what tends to happen is when we have internal conversations is that we tend to find that a lot of salespeople are very comfortable approaching the C and D capacity. B, we all know, is the sweet spot. And that's where the good balance of energy to financial and commercial return occurs. However, I also find that a lot of reps are actually quite scared to approach A-grade sellers. Yeah, I feel really intimidated. Yeah. So part of my role is to break all that down, to break it out, let's see it for what it is, have a chat with a few people, get to see that everyone has different points of view and different needs. And that's really why I wanted to reach out to some of your members, but at the same time, why I wanted to talk to you today. And today, for our clarification, you're the owner of Suki.
1: Well, Suki is 34 years old,
0: 25,
1: I don't know. Yep. And the location we're in at the moment, we've been here for 10 years and oh, had okay. Suki, no walk by trade. So we have a beautiful park across the road. It's stunning. Oh, gorgeous. There's two owls in the tree <laughs> at the moment. And at the end of our street, which is just a little one-way lane, is the ocean.
0: Okay. So your office is above the salon?
1: It's beside it. So I'm separated from the salon by a big glass window where I can see straight down the salon.
0: How many staff in the business now?
1: So I think there's 17, 18, not sure.
0: And that's across both hair and beauty?
1: No, we don't do beauty anymore. We moved from the city, so we're actually in the city but sort of out of the city.
0: You're closer to where your home is, wasn't it?
1: No, we're actually at Newcastle Beach, Merriweather Beach. But Newcastle City was sold to a developer, GPT. Over the years, the GFC happened. The entire development fell through. It was a complete mess. We moved up here 10 years ago, bought our own premises. The best decisions we've ever done in business. Landlords, never had great, but landlords always been really not great at all. And so we now have our own premises, floor to ceiling, glass doors the entire length. So no matter where you sit in the salon, you can see the park, but it's private because we have no walk by trade.
0: Oh, lovely. Gorgeous. So what would the business be most well known for these days?
1: Look, I think that with us, it's definitely our trainings and the way our staff I think, trust Mm as well with our staff because all of our senior staff have been here for a minimum of 10 years. So between 10 and 34 years,
2: Mm -hmm. um,
1: the majority have been around the 2022 mark, Mm -hmm. including the coordinator on the front desk. So because the main stylists have been here for that long, we don't have our juniors cutting. No one cuts here until they, are, you know, they reach that qualification. They go through a lot of training, a lot of training in this salon. So we're quite unique in the way our systems are. But I think because the staff have been here for so long, the stylists, there's a personalisation. I do believe that you have to be fantastic with the whole digital era, but I mm-hmm. do believe everything comes back
0: mm-hmm.
1: to your service and being really good at what you do.
0: Thank you. I think quality of work and premium these days is definitely the road to pursue. It's also the greatest place to create a point of difference so that you can really get a signature around what you're doing.
1: We do have clients that search out for us though because we're a sustainable salon. We have been for years, long before sustainable salons actually became a business, but Mm. we've always recycled, reused, raised money for charities, communities, et cetera. Yeah, we do have people who source out the fact that they know that you know what we give away for community or for recycling and reusing, it's always been
0: our value. Well, as we mentioned in our preamble just briefly the other day on the phone, the purpose of our conversation today was to explore this relationship between salon owners, business owners, and those beautiful people in our industry, which we call, for want of a better term, sales reps. Let's just put them all into that bucket for the moment. And really, what I was wanting to just kick off with is a little bit of feedback from you you mentioned earlier especially about jane you know some of the behaviors and traits that the good guys have what would be the ones that stand out for you there what sort of behaviors would you associate with the good reps
1: if i look at jane and i have another one louise who's pretty amazing as well and i'll go back to what i was saying about suki and it's just having that personal understanding so it's like even i'll Given an example of at Christmas, which is I know it's a really strange example, but, you know, we'll often be given champagne by our reps. Mm-hmm. But I don't drink. I'm allergic to alcohol, like someone would be allergic to seafood.
0: I'm anaphylactic to seafood, so I'm with you. Totally,
1: and I'm with alcohol. So if I gave you a whole lot of fresh prawns, knowing that, how would you feel? And so With my reps that that know me, they've bought me really beautiful sort of organic cooking books and plants. Louise, last Christmas, gave me a used support for a turtle called Hector. I'm actually a bit of an animal. Love them all. So Mm -hmm. the fact that she'd gone to that much trouble, which would have probably cost as much as the champagne, more or less, I don't even know. Going back to thinking personally, well, what's important to this salon and just putting that little bit of effort out. The ones that don't do well, you know, they just haven't got their heart in it and you can actually tell they're just going through the motions and their scripts are almost, well, they're scripted. Whereas Louise will come in and it's just how she looks at our stock levels, how she takes care of me is different to what other reps will do she doesn't just come in and sit down she'll start checking everything right from the moment she walks in so she's actually very productive with her time as well and like every salon owner there's times when and I'm not saying people should be available 24 7 Hmm. but when I do need something she will make sure that it happens regardless what time of the day or what day of the week Mm -hmm. it is we'll just make it happen for me Mm -hmm. you know thing. so she's a problem solver and I think that When it comes to running a business and you get caught up, like we all do, the busy salons get caught up and we forget to order something or something happens, we need someone to solve that problem ASAP. And so for me, a really good rep is that problem solver. They just make it happen for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't involve you in the problem. They just give you the solution.
1: Yeah. I'm someone that who likes to be text before they arrive. But that's because of how I've always operated. Mm -hmm. And even though I've got my diary and my reminders and everything everywhere, if they text me where it's just like, okay, I'm coming in 30 minutes, are you still okay? That makes the world of difference to my day. But I also think that a business owner should respect theirs as well, because if you're not available, then you're no different to a no-show. And I think, you know, any relationship swings both ways as well. Mm But, you know, there's some reps
0: that you just really want to and then there's others that don't. Mm. You know, in the old days, we used to connect that to their personality. But today, I think we go beyond that and we start to look at, you know, as you (laughs) said, where their heart is. Are they really genuine about their role or just going through the numbers? Do you tend to find that from your experience and without mentioning any company names that these sorts of behaviours quite often come from a company? Or do you think it comes more from the person themselves?
1: I think maybe a combination. I mean, I obviously know that every rep needs to meet their quota for the month or they all have got incentives in place for themselves just like any other business. But our clients, where my salon is, the clients that spend the most are the most loyal as well. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of spending less money by any means. I think good business is when a rep comes in and they actually can identify what your needs are in everything, not just stock, Mm -hmm. everything else, whether it's your time, whether it is, you know, getting your stock levels right, removing the stuff that has been discontinued is a really big thing for me or just doesn't look right. Any of the products that arrive damaged, having that relationship where you know that they're going to take care of stuff does make a difference. Their personality, right down to the way they dress. I mean, we've had reps that have walked in and you go, you do not represent that brand well you would say that we are an A salon.
0: Yep, A plus. <laughs> a yep.
1: plus salon. So therefore, you know, when someone arrives and they're representing a beautiful brand, mm. then their hair should be clean and their colour should be done mm. because we're in that kind of industry. You know, they can't wear thongy shoes in, like, sorry, it's my, you know, with dirty feet and mm. I've had that happen and they just don't represent their brand. brand. So Does that come from the company? I think the company wasn't very specific on their expectations. And with the person who was the rep at the time, they certainly maybe did not, yeah, they weren't motivated to actually look their best.
0: Yeah. When reps live on the road, they sometimes feel they can escape and do certain things because they're not like they're not walking into a salon every day, meaning that's their place of work. Yeah. They sometimes abuse that bit of freedom. One of the things that I also like to do is when I do these programs is to share with some people in the group some of the shocking experiences that you've had, some of the not so nice experiences. And with all due respect, you're a fairly tough operator and you have a fairly high standards. And I think everyone around you knows that, respects that. What's some of the not so nice experiences you've had?
1: I think probably the one that comes to mind is not being truthful and I think that's really important. You know, if you run out of stock or something's not right, you just actually say it. And... I think if you are talking to A salons or A plus salons and they have got a lot of staff, then we're busy, just like everyone else. Everyone is really busy. Yeah. I think probably one of the biggest mistakes that reps make is they don't do their research, especially on a salon that's been around for years and years, yeah. and before they walk in the door. So we'll often get new reps and they just know nothing about our business. And quite frankly, I don't have the time to give them a history lesson. And all they really need to do is go on our website. Google the business, go into Insta, go into Facebook, get a freebie with the brand and then walk in the door. Mm. And probably at my age and experience, probably the one thing that I really hate is having a brand new rep who's very young who will sit down and tell me that she's going to be my business consultant. Would I like to tell her about my business so she can help me improve it? And, you know, that happens more often than not. Now, if I was a D salon or a C salon and you walk in the door and you can just go, wow, I can just make such a difference. And there's a good way of creating that relationship. Well, that's different. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I know it all, but I think I pretty much know more than a 22-year-old who's my newest rep, who hasn't taken the initiative to just have a think about before she walks in the room, walks Mm -hmm. in the salon, as to who I am. And by that, I hope I don't sound arrogant because that's not my intention. No, Quite simply, I don't have time to
2: re-educate
1: a 22-year-old or 25-year-old or a 30-year-old on the history of my salon and Mm. who I am and what I can and can't do. I don't have time to talk about my figures and I'm Mm. certainly not going to discuss my spending with her either.
2: Mm.
1: What I've spent, what I'm not spending, what's moving, what's not moving, I'll be totally blunt. I'm not interested in having that kind of conversation with someone who's just entered the industry as a rep.
0: Yep. They need to earn your trust and respect first.
1: Yeah, totally. When you talk about bad experiences, I can't really think of too many because I, I sometimes do reach a point where I won't see anyone. I do try and see everyone, but I won't make appointments now if I don't have time to go through things. But my major companies, I always see. I always make time. So yeah. I guess anyone who's late, and I know I can be late as well, so, you know, I guess it's... You know, you've got to be fair, but I have had someone walk in from a particular brand, we don't use them, an hour late, we don't use them, and just been really pushy. And I support a house for the homeless, so whenever I'm giving products, I just give it straight to them, which is, you know, right? I really hate any kind of pushiness. I actually don't like cold calling, but I know that that, a lot of companies do promote that.
0: Yeah, look, it's a little bit of part of... What we do, and it's mainly because that when salespeople use the telephone, they very rarely end up in the right place anyway, because the person they need to speak to is on the other floor. And I think from a company's perspective, Sandy, and I know definitely some of the companies that I work with, they're becoming more specific about the type of partnership that they want to broker as well. So yeah. a little bit of that comes from the meet and greet. We all know some pretty average salons that have got some great websites and vice versa. So some of the standard markers that are in the industry are a little bit more difficult to read, so hence the cold calling. But again, there's ways to do that and there's ways. You mentioned, uh, and without going into company details, but you mentioned a bad experience or a unique experience the other day about a company doing a dinner with some people or something. What was that?
1: When a company does sort of invite you out and they sort of really almost corner you, to change over. You now, I think in the past, you know, we have moved companies for various reasons. I'm actually someone who never leaves a company for a really long time. Like, you really, really, really have to do a lot of wrong with me. I'm the same with my dentist, my doctor. You know, I'm, one of the, I'm like the perfect client for a hair salon because you'd have to really, really stuff me up for 10 years before I leave you.
2: Yeah. So I'm
1: one of those that don't like change. And so I know that when I've looked at companies that we've embraced i almost sit on the outside for a while and attend things. And I guess getting invited, you know, if you're going to cold call, invited to an education event or, you know, a presentation that they're doing about business and you get a feel for the company's culture and their values and their brand. Yes. And I agree with you. It is a relationship. Like I think any company that wants to engage in a business, it's about what you can do for each other. I think what I do hate is listening to salons that are all about, you know, what are you going to give me? Mm -hmm. It's like you're going to give me free stock and it's like, get over the free stock and get over the discount for God's sake. You know, when I do speak to salon owners, I just want to hear about the discount. And Mm. I never talk discount at all with any of the companies. What I do talk about is more about the relationship. You know, one company, for instance, wanted to put me on the stage all the time. It's like I don't care about that. If you've ever seen me present... I'm there, it's not my thing, I'm comfortable, I'm not uncomfortable, but it's not a driver for me, it's part of my job, I'm not someone who needs to be on stage in front of a whole lot of people, so to dangle that in front of me actually does nothing, but other things work for me, you know, that are important for me
0: in my business. Just generally speaking, would those things tend to fit more into the business, building sort of side of the business?
1: Yes, I think that with my business being 34 years old, it's Mm. probably so much the building of the business because we obviously have a strong core structure Mm. and Mm. because we have had a lot of staff over the years, so I had up to 45 staff at one point between two Mm. sides and the only reason I don't now is I actually now work for the industry and I change jobs. Mm. And so we've always been incredibly structured. So I think where a company comes in for me is ensuring that, We're not missing out and being left behind, especially with the huge disruptions in business thinking. So I guess I rely on the companies to make sure I'm also up to date with Mm. everything that's happening. You know, I just came back from a conference and they had, I think, I can't remember, five or six speakers and every single one of them had incredible messages, Mm -hmm. things to learn and things that were helpful right now in business. So I could take something from every speaker and put it in, right now. And so I think that really helps. It's not so much building my business, but I think understanding how to market my business, understanding our brand, how we need to market our brand and what's important for us to do that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, especially with the way social media is so sprayed these days and so many different levels of activities and things of that nature. Okay. Just to round all of this out, We've been talking about the style and size of your business and, you know, it's at the top end of the pyramid, you know, that A, a plus category. Do you think that there, is, just generally speaking from your experience that there's a different need for salons that, that versus the two or three suburban salons? Do you think companies need to think of things differently?
1: I guess maybe as far as support and education for those smaller sellers that you're talking about and often if they are sitting in that C or B Mm. level, then they're often maybe price-driven because they've not quite got to, and I'm generalising here, to more of a maybe they haven't quite got their brand right. I'm talking about the ones that want to go and they haven't got there and they want to know how to go there. Okay, so understanding everything that you need to have in place to actually grow your business, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm not interested in growing my business, if that makes sense, whereas those C salons, they want to be A salons and they need guidance in getting there. But I still maintain that, you know, reps are not really the people to do that, but reps deliver the information on where to go, which would be the business, you know, growing seminars or the business growing presentations, et cetera, et cetera. I know with the companies that I deal with, they send us a lot of information that is, you know, that is helpful for me. I would go to not everything they do because I can't, but I do go to a lot of things and I think that I always learn something which is really important.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: But as far in answer to your question, did I answer your question? not really sure.
0: You have, but I think what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, I agree that the smaller salons and some of them are aspirational and you know they have desires to grow and maybe they're really good on the floor but they don't know the business acumen or the business steps they need to take people like yourself growth is no longer probably the top of the list maintenance and contemporism if that was be a word would probably be slightly higher and also as you said keeping up with what's going on especially in the size of business that you are and the Business yeah. and the reputation that you have it's vital,
1: yeah. And so, there's always new kids on the dock, okay. Mm. In all those years of having Suki, we've seen many salons come and go,
2: yes. And of
1: course, you see staff come and go because 90% of the industry is female, so you know they have babies and yep. whatever. And we're continually training staff that go, yep. that's just the nature of our industry because mm. they're female, they have families, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. And I agree, a business like ours is all about maintenance. It's all about keeping the staff that we've got, training for our future. And I think that's where a lot of salons actually do go wrong anyway. You know, they're always trying to find qualified persons to work in their beauty salon or in their salon. And they forget that the people in the salon right now are actually part of their future.
0: Yes. And
1: coaching from other salons who have spent time, money and energy training someone up and then they coach. And I think that's really bad. We've never done that. I have this really weird fear of karma that, you know, you do the wrong thing by other businesses, then that's going to happen to you. So we've always been really strong in our values and making sure that you never hurt another business type thing. But, um, yeah, look, ours is maintaining what we've got. Yep. And that's always going to be a struggle as well because okay. our staff get older and whatever, getting yep. new clients in all the time.
0: And there's um, cycles that every business goes through. And...
1: Totally. And even in our community, making sure that, you know, things that happen where we are, they introduce supercars. We lost 30 grand the first year that they introduced supercars to where I am. So the next mm. year we realised how it works and we didn't yep. lose any money. We just changed our strategy. And we threw a staff party, actually, it became convenient. So the first year was not great, but, you know, we went, okay, so that didn't work. How do we make this work? Because the yeah. you know, past is not going to go away. Yeah, it's maintaining where we're at, and that is a continual stress. It's not yes. easy. Just like every other business, we have our ups and downs. So you
0: know. uh, Someone once explained it to me as the twirling plates in the circus, you know. It takes a while yeah. to get all those plates up there can't walk away and leave them. You've got to from time to time come back and tweak.
1: Well they drop all the time too. You know. <laughs> they do. you might have a perfect week, but Yep. that was like once. Okay. And it's like, you know, there's always something. You know, I mean we work with a lot of relationships.
2: Yes, of course. And
1: the clients between the staff, you know, there's the college, you know, whatever. There's a lot of relationships to coordinate. Mm. And so the bigger the salon, the more
0: relationships mm-hmm. that you need to nurture and take care of. Mm, very true. Would there be an issue for you at the moment that would be the most pressing? You know, what would be your most pressing business issue at the moment apart from what we've discussed? Is there any other area?
1: I think probably for me is only the time that I don't have mm. To spend in the salon, I, I try to put things in place. So we have a lot of private Facebook pages with our college so that the kids at college, for instance, post everything that they're doing so I always know what they're doing. And we have our own private Facebook page, so I'm in constant communication. Mm-hmm. I think probably my only pressing thing is that I'm not in the salon six days a week anymore. I'm sitting beside it.
2: Yes. Know,
1: they can all walk in any minute. Yep. And I'm not actually on the floor. I do miss the interaction with the clients, Mm. but that's probably my stress. Is my business still okay? I mean, I guess on from a business perspective, though, I have a very good business without me being there. Fantastic. And really that's what you work towards. Well, that's the
0: ultimate goal, isn't it, is, you know, for you to build something that's not totally putting you on the tools all the time. Yeah, I haven't been on the floor now, I think, for about four years. Great. And,
1: yeah, sometimes I miss it, but I miss mm-hmm. more the interaction with everybody rather than sitting in the office like I am now a yeah. doing of work there. I think businesses continue. I mean, in hairdressing, the one permanent thing has changed, isn't it? And so I, I guess making sure that we are never left behind, making sure we've got younger clients coming in. Are we spending money in the right areas? You know, we a lot of money on hard copy stuff this year and was that a really good idea? just invest in Google, is that going to be a good idea? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Things like that. So we're continually trying to be better and not the parents, yeah.
0: All right. Well, look, Sydney, thank you. I know you're a very busy lady and thank you for contributing. I really appreciate this. See you at Expo?
1: I'll see you at Hair Expo, yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Get To Yes podcast. If you like what you've heard and found that salon owners' thoughts and opinions are interesting why don't you take this podcast and share it with a few other team members and have a bit of a chat about some of the things that you can change to, well, get to yes more often. So until next time, you can visit me at thesalescatalyst.com.au.